welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. The truth is also seeking the seeker. Here we are in our collective hero's journey, each contributing what he or she is able to. And we started with myth and men's work, gathering our resources and seeing which tools we would need for the next chapters of our hero's journey. We've talked to men and women about the most important topics that we can find, leaving no stone unturned. We are coming up on a series of episodes that are very important for us as a tribe. The faint trail of the hero has taken us out into the darkness, out to our edges. You may disagree with the information I am uncovering or even get mad or triggered. That is fine and to be expected. I honor where you are at in your awakening. I really do. There's something that's been hidden from our view that has slowly emerged in our inner vision. We are finally seeing it clearly. We've arrived at a threshold. The truth is indeed seeking the seeker. We've traversed the landscape, found our allies, and now confront a dark dragon, one that many of us did not know we would have to face. So we continue along the faint trail, picking up allies and using our sense of truth as our compass and our guide. The hero in the story is developing latent and long-dormant abilities that he or she will need for the coming chapter. We are predestined to awaken you and I. This, it seems, has already been written. There's a sense of divine intervention in these episodes for me. The subject matter has evolved, but the foundation remains the same. I hold the question, what do we need for our next chapters, and then listen and follow the instructions. My guests have all arrived at Base Camp for Men using this process. Today's guest shares my love of the divine and myth and the mystery of our collective journey. Marie Jones is the best-selling author of over 25 nonfiction books on diverse topics, including the paranormal, ufology, mind control, propaganda and media manipulation, myth and symbolism, ancient knowledge, archetypes, cutting-edge science, time travel, and more. She's also a novelist and screenwriter and has been interviewed on over 2,000 radio shows and podcasts all over the world. She's also appeared on the History Channel's Ancient Aliens and Nostradamus Effects series. Here is my interview with Marie Jones. Okay, I am here with Marie Jones, author, thought leader, prolific author, Marie Jones. Marie, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show and it's great to meet you. Thank you so much. It's a it's a pleasure to have been invited on. Absolutely. You know, I I got your book, uh, The Power of Archetypes: How to Use Universal Symbols to Understand Your Behavior and Reprogram Your Subconscious. So I gravitated to that. As our listeners know, I often I've done a, quite a few episodes on archetypes. We use them in our men's work. Um, and so I got that. And as soon as I got it and started to read it, I reached out to you and said, Hey, you want to come on and do an episode? And you agreed to it. And we set a date. And then a few days ago, I was like, Oh, I, let me click over on her website to see what else she's written. And oh my God, there was like 20 <laughs> books. I Just mean, a few things. <laughs> unbelievable with titles, get this titles <clears throat> like Mind Wars, um, The Time Prompt Phenomenon, This Book is from the Future, Demons, the Devil, and Fallen Angels, Disinformation, and You. I mean, all stuff that we have sort of started to touch on and flesh out on Basecamp for Men. So I was so delighted to see all that. And I thought, okay, well, let me change the questions around a little bit. But I guess my first question to you is, 
I'm a writer as well. I'm working on book number two. I really feel like <laughs> if, if I get three books by the time I'm done, I was like, wow, I can't believe I wrote three books. And here you are. I think you have like 20, don't you? I'm actually um, just finished my 26th book and about five novels. Okay. So wait a minute. So now what's your process like? Like, do you, are you just like, you get up, get your coffee or tea and then like, okay, I'm banging out a bunch of writing. Like how, how do you structure that much content? Um, I mean, everybody has their own pace. I have writer friends that do one book a year. Mm -hmm. I tend to do four or five. Wow. Um, luckily I work with publishers, so I have external deadlines. What's harder for me is when I impose my own deadlines. That's a little different, but I write every day and, uh, except for Christmas and Thanksgiving, I probably won't. I, you know, I'm starting to take holidays off. Right. Um, so I write from maybe eight, I get up six, check email, do email stuff. I write from morning till five o'clock, sign off. And then wow. I may do some reading through or editing, or I may just chill and watch TV, but I've been writing so long. I'm in my fifties now. And I just, I started writing as a kid and I started publishing as a teenager. So, um, I did go through periods early on where I was blocked, mm -hmm. like a lot of other writers, or where I had difficulties. And then all of a sudden, it just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I just, I, I'm going to write everything I feel like writing, and I'm just going to be like a machine. Because here's what I found. When you sort of start to self-edit or self-question what it is you're writing, you'll stop. Right. So if you can just plow through and get that first draft down, it's, it's huge. I mean, of course you go back and edit it. I also learned early on after a lot of heartache, second guessing things that I did want to write about and not doing it. And then seeing someone else have great success with that same thing later yeah. is to always trust. Now I trust myself. I don't trust the market. I don't trust my agent, my manager, they'll tell me things and I may listen. But if my gut is telling me to do something, I know now to do it. That's and great. I didn't for a long time. That's great advice for writers, myself included. Yes. You know, I just think that's that's outstanding because I think I, I know a, quite a few people who have a book in them and they've said so for years and years and years. But you can just sense that there's a lack of trust that they're going to be able to stay with the process and create something where they have some huge bar up above. It's got to be some massive, impressive thing rather than just they wrote their first book, right? And they just they just get really blocked, you know? And so... That's probably a natural part of the process, though, is to, yeah. is to experience those fears and then to realize, you know, time is passing and this time right. is going to pass anyway. So right. let me just get this book written. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So in your book, The Power of Archetypes, you know, uh, I do a lot of men's workshops. I work with men a lot. And we use five primary archetypes in that work, warrior, king, lover, magician, and the hero, right? And accessing the archetypes, um, it's easy to cross-reference popular movies like Lord of the Rings or The Matrix or Star, Star Wars. Wars. You, can, you, can, you can easily reference who the mentors are in those stories. But I think sometimes as we speak about our own hero's journey, if we set our lives in heroic, in a heroic context, that we 
sort of plug ourselves into that myth, the myth will start to have us speak and behave and do things that we wouldn't normally do because we're speaking about the hero's journey. It's a weird thing. It's like a macro micro thing where if I start to speak about um, the hero's journey and my own part in that myth, all of a sudden it starts to get fleshed out. Like I become more heroic. I start to inspire. I be, I become the mentor in somebody else's hero's journey. It's got this weird, you know, synchronistic thing. Um, and th- to me, there's also seems to be a lot of wisdom in the archetypes if we can manage to access them and speak our way into them. Oh, absolutely. Does that make sense to you? It does. Yeah. I think the biggest problem though is, and it's funny, you know, I'm raising a, a white young man. My son mm-hmm. is 19. And I think all the times, all the time about some of the difficulties that a young white man has in society right, right. now with yeah. with levels of racism and sexism and, you know, these, he doesn't know which way to turn. But I think with, uh, with the archetypes that we identify with, there's often the danger of not having any kind of balance. So for example, for men especially, men are so pushed to be the warrior, yeah. the provider, the hero. Yeah. But if that's all they ever feel like they can do, because if they don't, they're going to be attacked by society or family or feel shame or guilt or whatever, then they're out of balance with other symbols within them Absolutely. that might be seeking expression. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and it's the same for women. Do we always have to be nurturing? You know, sometimes I'd like to be. Absolutely. Selfish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So for men, especially I've noticed with, cause I have a lot of guy friends and I've noticed how they struggle with trying to play those roles to the hilt. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Marie, that, you know, being in close with the men, in other words, I have been in men's circles, wisdom circles for 20 years now. And so I get a bird's eye view of, right. the, inner, of the inner lives of men and of the archetypes that I just spoke of, the ones I think that are the key in this transition that we're facing, it's not the warrior that is the key for men. I think men need to better access lover uh, in all of its aspect, um, appreciation, gratitude for the planet, right. gra- gratitude for the feminine, both in our women and the inner feminine in ourselves, and have this deep reverence and love for life. And then the magician is the other one. I think the magician is the key right now because we're the the mainstream media and the powers that be are sort of force feeding a narrative. And our ability to access the magician and transmute any negative and dark narrative into something that is victorious for us as humanity is key. And that means accessing the magician to me. Yeah, yeah. I think we're the alchemists. We're going to turn Absolutely. metals into gold. Absolutely. Um, and, and men, I think, also could um, use a little more balance with the healer. Yeah. And, you know, Jung talked about the anima, the animus, and how men have a feminine aspect and and women have a masculine aspect. And I think sometimes lately with gender, in terms of gender, there's so much going to the extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, And (laughs) there's a lot of quote-unquote animosity between genders sometimes that I think 
getting more in touch with the the feminine and men and the masculine and women, we might be able to balance. Mm-hmm. First, we have to balance ourselves and then balance society out. But I love that you brought up the the magician or the magi or the sage mm-hmm. because I I had not really thought about that in terms of what's going on today. But yeah. you're absolutely right. It's like they're hitting us hard with with every uh, you know black magic they yeah. have. Yeah. And yeah, we need to step up and that's men and women. But I, you know, men have always been thought of as the leaders. And I think um, in, in regards to feeling like a leader, a lot of men need to need to embrace. Yeah. I, well, and I, th- I think what you said too, that the, the magician quadrant or the magician um, archetype, it also holds the alchemist. It holds the mystic you know, um, there's this sense of working with powerful allies in the magician uh, archetype that I feel like reinforces where we're going. It will help us get to the next uh, 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 epoch for us that we're not stuck under the thumb of some, you right. know, deep state cabal. You know, there's there's a lot of that going on. So how do we acknowledge, hey, there's been an imbalance here in the power um, and humanity, this is not suiting us as a tribe. So we're going to exactly. use our tools and we're going to take what you, we're not going to make, we're not going to kill you off. We're, we've got forgiveness, we've got love, but we also have a lot compassion. of power, compassion and we have power. I think that's one thing like, like you brought up earlier right. to not, yeah. not be victimized by what's going on, you know, by George Soros or, you know, however you want to phrase it, that we have, um, we have resources and I think we're starting to realize what some of those are as it unfolds. So um, I wanted, one of your books is, is titled Disinformation and You Identify Propaganda and Manipulation. And I thought, wow, <laughs> I have a lot of people that are not identifying propaganda. Oh, I know it. I wish the uh, book was out now, but it won't be out till, till May of next year. Well, well, we'll just wait for it, but let's talk about it because um, I know a great many people a great many people that I love, some that I'm related to, some I've been friends with for 30 years. Um, and we've taken different paths right now. And um, there seems to be a bit of a fog around what's going on. And there's a lot of disinformation going on right now around COVID-19, around masks mandated. And now the there's... Election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just... And so how do you, how do you, what would you say to somebody? Like, how do you go about recognizing it? If somebody hears this and says, what is she talking about? Like, what's, <laughs> what's a good way to start to kind of, am I being lied to? Am I being given the wrong information? How do I know this? Because it's being blared out on every mainstream media channel. Right. Yeah. Including Fox now as oh, well. Oh, I know it. I, I, yeah, it's insane. There's nowhere to turn. Yeah, it becomes what you look at becomes your reality. Yeah. It's funny because it does tie into what you were talking about with the magician archetype and that uh, we need a, an archetype that we can all strive for that is the truth teller. Yeah. But in order to tell, tell the truth, you have to have all of the um, blinders removed and tape ripped off your eyes uh, yeah. so that you can see. Now, the, the real problem that I found, so the book is basically – the history of propaganda from, you know, hundreds of years ago all the way to now. And I look at everything, every possible 
uh, type of propaganda, media manipulation, coercive persuasion, mind control, mm-hmm. um, you know, subliminals, everything you could think of I, is in that book. It was a very, very challenging and difficult book to write. Luckily, I had already started to write a lot about that in two other books I had called Mind Wars mm-hmm. and um, where I wrote a lot about media manipulation, cult behavior, that you know type of mentality, the sheep mentality, and also a book called Viral Mythology, where I wrote about how information went viral in the past and how it goes viral today. So I had a little bit of background, but I was a particular political persuasion for decades. Yep, as was I. I was a Kool-Aid drinker. I was yep. a cult member. You could not show me a million facts. I never would have changed my mind. And recognizing how strong and how powerful political identity is. Mm-hmm. When I was writing the book, what I realized is no amount of information that you put in front of someone is going to make a difference until they're ready to see it. But once they see it, they can't unsee it. Right. However, I found one of the best ways to get them to see it is to encourage them to get in touch with, there's a part of these people that knows the truth. Exactly. You can see it in their eyes when you talk to them. They may deny everything you're telling them or say, well, no, CNN said it. But they're living in such fear that maybe that stuff is true, but there's a part of them that knows the truth. And I think that's what you have to appeal to. Yeah. So some of the things that I suggest in the book is if you have the courage to look at opposing viewpoints, watch or look at media that is the exact opposite of what you believe in. Try to step back and do it with an open mind. Talk to people, sit down with people, talk to people who are the exact opposite of you. Mm-hmm. And then kind of check in with yourself and see what resonates. Because I guarantee when people try to slam facts in front of you and you should be believing this and this is, everybody shuts down. I mean, I do it too. I do too, yeah. But there is a very subtle, gentle way to get people to open their eyes or at least to assist them in it and to be there for them when they do, because it is, uh, I don't even know what the word is. Literally, you're having the rug of your identity pulled out from under you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it feels threatening or they're, you know, I remember when I first started to have an awakening around some of this stuff that I felt like I was being pulled into the truth, into the rabbit hole. Yeah. And, and I realized, you know, it was, it was with great trepidation. It, there was, there was a mix of curiosity, but there was also like a, holy shit, this is going to change everything. If I can figure out what this pattern that I'm being drawn yeah. into looks like. And, and it did, it, it, it revealed a lot of what was mysterious. I think you captured it. You, you have to appeal to people's sense that there's something off. It's almost like in the matrix when Morpheus tells Neo at the beginning, there's something that's like a sliver in your mind. There's something that you can't quite, you can't quite reconcile what you're seeing with what you know is true. Yeah. That cognitive dissonance people yep. know. Yep. They may not be able to describe what's happening to them or why they feel that way, but they know that yeah. something is amiss. And I, I don't know if it's bravery or 
in my case as a writer, all my life I've jumped down those rabbit holes. Yeah, me too. But this one was really brutal. I know. Well, there there seems to be there seems to be a number of big narratives happening. You have you know, if if we put the whole thing under the Great Awakening, you know, there's been there's been a lot of talk of this Great Awakening. So it's got like a, a light side and a dark side. The light side, of course, is, um, you know, is talked about in spiritual communities in yoga as the ascension of humanity and the planet. So that uh, literally we would be moving into what would be considered a new density or a new octave, let's say, that um, the frequency is about to change. And there's, uh, you know, people talk about a lot, they cross-reference, you know, Mayan calendar, the yugas, there's a lot of... Just dimensional. Dimensional, right. yeah. <laughs> and that we're, we're moving into kind of a new golden age in a way. And then there's a dark side in that we're becoming also simultaneously aware of... Um, you know, where we've been captive, that there has been a cabal, a deep state that has been ruling the planet. And it has been unseen the way that it's been set up. The structure makes it look like we we can't quite get a clear bead on it unless we start to really get clear about what the pattern is. Right. And so simultaneously, there's a lot of people and, you know, the whole Q thing may be connected to this where all of a sudden, you know, you could have a mass awakening where all of a sudden there could be literally hundreds of millions of people around the world that suddenly become aware, holy crap, there is a crime family that's been running this planet. I did not oh, know that. A you know, syndicate for heaven's yeah, sake. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that the two kind of run side by side. You know, people say, "Oh, conspiracy theory. Oh, you're a you're a new age. You know, whatever." But I think the whole kit and caboodle under the Great Awakening is really what we're talking about. I think that it is you know, absolutely and. Um, and even people say, hey, we're living in biblical times. And I, I don't usually say I things keep like saying that. that. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's so true. And it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because even if you're not a, a Christian or a super religious person, it, it, you get what that means. Now, the Great Awakening is, is arising. Yeah. But, you know, anytime you go up against the powerful, it's going to get worse before it gets better because they're realizing that this is this is the end game. Yeah. The Great Awakening is is meeting. You know, it's like a boxing match with the Great Reset, which I believe we yeah. are already immersed in. And I think COVID nineteen was a a big part of pushing that forward. Yeah. And people say, "Oh, with the Great Reset, I read it. It sounds so good." It's oh, friends, no. it's wake up. Though, so, but anytime. So like you said, the, the, the negative power, the, the dark side has been in the shadows operating with, you know, nobody knew who they were, what they were doing, but all of a sudden now flashlights are being shined and yeah. dark corners are being revealed and they're going to fight back and they are fighting back and that's going to get worse. We're seeing censorship yeah. like I've never seen in the years that I've been alive, we're seeing corruption, we're seeing death threats, we're seeing people being deplatformed, huge, you know, groups on Facebook that had millions of followers, we're seeing any alternative health or scientists, researchers that say, wait a second, there's no real science that said these crappy surgical masks work, or COVID-19 gain of function is not something you find in nature, or whatever, 
yeah. is all being censored. So when I try to talk to somebody about that, I have to remember that they're switching channels between all of the corporate media stations that are carrying one narrative. Mm-hmm. So what I'm telling them is not their reality. Their reality is what they're seeing on the news media. Yeah. Or on Facebook or Twitter and, and Instagram, all of which are owned by people that are a part of that narrative. And so, yeah, it becomes, I think it becomes up to people like us with the work that we do, yeah. podcasts, um, books, you know, anything that we can do to get the word out there because you are not going to hear this on CNN. And now that Fox is, I think they were bought out by Disney and uh Rupert Murdoch's two sons are, are, you know, liberals, and you're not going to hear it from Fox either. Right. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with liberals. There's, I know a lot of them that are wonderful people, but... as do I, for sure, yeah. yeah. Did you see the documentary, The Social Dilemma, that was being talked about? No, I haven't seen it yet. I have it on a list of, like, all kinds of things that I need to... The people keep telling me I need to watch. Yeah, it's it's really good. I think it's a good... um, it's a good introduction to AI. I think it shows where we're at in terms of what AI is doing to uh, how it's interfacing with humanity. And then um, there's a there's a guy called Ray Kurzweil. Oh yeah, the singularity. Yeah, yeah. And, and his work, and I re- I remember seeing him say, you know, it used to be, you know, you had a big giant room full of computers. Well, now all that computing power is in your smartphone. And he said, within five years, the computing power in your smartphone will be in your bloodstream. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay. That's terrible. Yeah. I'm like, okay, then that means you're giving us shots. Vaccines, chemtrails, nanoparticles, however they can get it in your system, right? And and I think that's the real agenda behind the vaccines. It's not, has anything to do with COVID-19, which has always been shaky and a sham. Exactly. I totally agree with you. It's this AI thing. And I think the more people that understand that, you know, they might go, that's crazy. Why would they want to turn us into a singularity? It's like, come on, you know, you, you can't be that naive that you would think, that that would not be a good outcome for a small group of people, right? Well, exactly. So. And if you have a digital wallet too that controls, you know, your money for buying food and and water, and they control that remotely, yeah. uh, you know, you speak out or you say the wrong thing, and boom, money's taken out of your digital wallet. And it's so funny, you know, the whole conspiracy thing. <clears throat> I've always loved a good conspiracy. Mm. But now they're all coming true. And yep. this is really, really scary. Yeah. You know, I, I, every day I turn on, I see some new story about how such and such state is locking down and this governor is, or this country's leader is pushing, pushing for digital ID or a digital health implant or chip. And yeah. like, am I asleep? Is this a, a dream? Yeah, I know. This is all coming true in my lifetime. I can't even imagine what my son is going to be dealing with. I, I think I think we have to, what we said earlier, Marie, I think we have to fortify the the where we're going and not I think they're trying to f- use our consciousness to say, we've got you by the balls. We're, we're building singularity and there's nothing you can do about it. We're going to give you the vaccines and you're not going to be able to say no. And I just think our ability to say, that's not what's 
we, we've got you actually, you yeah. don't have us. We've got more power than you. We've accepted that you have all this power, but you're like, it's like the Wizard of Oz. It's like some creakety old man. Exactly. Going, yeah. I was going to scare you with, you know, it's like, you don't right. have it. We've got the power. We've got a lot more than you. And we've got a lot more um, oomph right now. We've got momentum. Yes. So I think we we have to set aside the dystopian. I think we, we've we all watched Terminator and iRobot. And <laughs> I know, seen, too many they, of those they, things. They, they've given us their vision of how they want it to go. I think it's up to us to say, yeah, that's an interesting dark vision, but that... Well, we're not going to be compliant. And I'm seeing these protests like in, um, like, what was it, Den- Denmark, where for mm-hmm. nine days... They protested the forced vaccination and shut it down. Yep. Um, seeing protests and, you know, outside governor's mansions, people saying, sorry, I'm going to get together with eight people at Thanksgiving right. and, and there's nothing you can. I'm seeing a lot more of that. I'm seeing a lot more of people saying, I will not comply. I, I'm yeah. not going to live in your fear. Yeah. Keep it, you know, keep it. However, we do have to admit that the more we see of that, the more they're going to fight back. The more sure. there's going to be false flags and yeah, yeah. Um, oh, COVID, the the fourth strain is the deadliest of all, and you know, know, look at all these people dying and more disinformation coming our way. Yeah, but I think if we really, you know, as the numbers grow of the people that become more aware, they're going to run out of ways to to scare people into submission. I agree. Um, I agree. You know, the whole idea of population control and culling the population. Yeah. We're going to be fighting that back. And I, I'm already seeing it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Marie, thanks so much for coming on. Is there any creative uh, projects you'd like our listeners to know about? You've got the one book coming out in May, you said. That'll be probably very I timely. Um, but anything else you'd like our, our listeners to know about that's coming up for you? I do. After that, later next year, I have a, another big book called The Toxin Conspiracies. This is a tentative title. It's the toxins in our food, air, water, and bodies and what we can do about them. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Marie. Thank you for uh, your time, for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your insights. It's just been a delight to meet you. I look forward to having a conversation with you again. Maybe we can do this again. I think we will need to do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much and good luck with the new book and we'll be talking to you soon. The second half of our conversation reminded me of a quote by the Indian writer Arundhati Roy, who says, quote, The system will collapse if we refuse to buy what they are selling, their ideas, their version of history, their wars, their weapons, their notion of inevitability. Remember this, we be many and they be few. They need us more than we need them. Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing, unquote. For more information on Marie Jones or to find any of her 26 books, go to www.mariedjones.com. That's mariedjones.com. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men. 